1104 AM, March 6th, entering the RSS feed of Got It Memorized, a Twin Peaks podcast with a Kingdom Hearts quote for a title. Shouldn't be too hard to remember. Should the host of a fun show? That's what I need, fun show, reasonably paced. I'm Wheels, and this is Joe. How are you, Joe? I'm doing all right. I, I realize now, as we record these in advance, but we say the time and date that we begin recording it not when it comes out i feel like that's like weirdly apt for a twin peak show it feel like you're getting messages from the past in a way oh yeah you know what we should actually just start cutting in like like transitions and then one of us will say like meanwhile and then the conversation <laughs> will keep going just every episode st- we, we instead of backwards talking we end every episode by screaming as loud as we can it's gonna oh, be a good. great new direction did you realize when we when you started this episode to watch it for this episode that we were already here because I was boy shocked. i didn't i like yeah my like i think it was like in the first 10 minutes or something uh, where my boyfriend was asking, like, is this the episode where we find out? And I was like, surely it's not that far into no, the season. No, no, it can't be. Can't be. I was like, what happened? Because, like, David Lynch is, you know, directed by David Lynch shows up, but I could tell well, kind of before that. it's funny because I was, I was, like, not really paying attention during the opening credits. I was, like, looking at my phone or something, and uh, I see the first few scenes, and I'm like, wow. Whoever directed this directed this episode really has like the Lynch style. Yeah, down. this is some Lynchian <laughs> stuff. Yeah, I mean it's the directed by David Lynch comes up as his character leaves the building. It's very funny because the, the first scene involves uh, Gordon Cole leaving. That's right. Yeah, great log lady intro. It's been a couple episodes since it's come up because they've been, I mean, just kind of fancy set dressing. Um, but this one does start with a poem that she reads. She says, a poem as lovely as a tree. As the night wind blows, the bows move to and fro, the rustling, the magic rustling that brings on the dark dream. The dream of suffering and pain. Pain for the victim, pain for the inflictor of pain. A circle of pain, a circle of suffering. Woe to ones who be called the pale horse. Come, I mean, this is an episode where the horse shows up. And we do get the horse. Also, I just love that idea. Woe to who behold it. I'll be honest. It's not a, yeah, not a, <laughs> to those who behold a pale white horse, not a great scene. <laughs> Bad vibes. Yeah, not great. Hearing this, I, I really like the idea of like the, the implication of like, I don't remember what the line you said was that made me think this, but some sort of like. Just a, a wave of badness kind of like coming in in a way that you can't describe because that happens to a lot of characters at a scene in the roadhouse where mm-hmm. there are three characters, like at least three characters who are like, oh, <laughs> but they don't yeah, know. They, they don't, don't know, know why. why. It's really great. It reminds me a lot of the pilot when suddenly everyone kind of knows that they've lost yeah. something when Laura dies. Um, I was curious because I'd heard the phrase pale horse before in, in rap lyrics, and I was like, so is this one of those things from the Bible I didn't know? And the answer is a little bit yes, because it is about, like, uh, the Bible verse, uh, behold a pale horse and his name that sat on him was death, yeah. uh, and hell followed him. Also, but it's the name of a book like about conspiracy book? theories stuff, yes, which yeah. has uh, got hooks in QAnon and other other rap stuff has referenced the book as well, because a lot of rappers are really into conspiracy theories, um, and I kind of, like, get it. I know why, but it's still, like, oh, yeah. a thing. I like, mean, that's, you know, yeah. sl- dare I say slippery slope. Conspiratorialism feeds on a, uh, you know, it is a, capitalism needs it to exist so that mm-hmm. it has, so that, because it creates an outlet for people's frustrations towards capitalism uh, in a way that's easily understandable, but also wrong. We uh, were just talking about the Batman before recording, and before, which I think kind of feeds on similar sort of stuff, uh, but it made me want to rewatch Under the Silver Lake, which I did, uh, which also does similar sort of stuff. Like, everyone's, like, looking I've for something to, to solve. It's It's a great movie that some people don't like but i like it a lot well, fuck some people andrew garfield the fact that he went back to spider-man after under the silver lake which kind of intentionally preys on uh dissing spider-man afterwards um is you had me at andrew garfield you get to see his little butt in it Ooh. so Ooh. there's that he gets naked quite a few times in that movie you didn't you didn't even need to give me that cherry <laughs> on top uh okay so Ten this peaks. episode 
Yeah, as as we mentioned, we did not expect to be the episode that the killer gets revealed, but it's like oh yeah, we didn't mention that's why we're that's what we're talking about. Yeah, kind of bad. The the I think it requires a little bit of meta textual prefacing. Absolutely. The studio, not the studio, the network. I don't know ABC, all the details right? of this, but yeah, but ABC was pressuring for ratings reasons and for you know they and. And just people who write the check always want to get their always kind of want to get their beaks into the story. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, they pressured creative team of Twin Peaks to reveal the killer before they had planned to uh, significantly before what they end up doing, as you can kind of tell by the fact that we had no idea we it was coming, even though both of us have seen the show multiple times. They kind of just rip the bandaid off once they get that instruction of just like, all right, we got to go. All right, here we go. And I think it really works with this episode. I think this episode is a big reason why it works, because like it, it feels like it's like a reminder that this whole time the killer's still been out there, you know, mm-hmm. and we kind of forget at a point that there's that ticking clock of like it could happen at any point again. It happens it it's happening again. It, this this is the this episode, episode. That comes and it's from, like yes. all the characters have kind of forgotten that was a possibility, and it hits them all like a ton of bricks uh, in the middle of plots. It's amazing. Yep. Uh. Yeah. No. I think it works pretty well. Like it is like I don't think they would have. Reve- I mean, it's most people agree. would agree, and it makes the back half it. of this season bad. <laughs> but. <laughs> whatever there's certainly some air out of the balloon when it's like oh cooper's just still here um and yeah. like like other things are just sort of still spinning even though the impetus uh, uh of who killed laura well, we got Palmer is, is gone yeah windham Earl had already Wh- been set up Wh- windham Earl becomes like atlas like holding the entire <laughs> world on it is like the it's like the only bad thing that's happening in this town anymore like we gotta keep having twin peaks yeah that's uh that's what i mean that's something i find so interesting about the decision to make a third season and what is done with it but yeah fucking uh, windemarle's whole thing is i i guess i could see some of that stuff still happening and it being interesting if like you didn't know who the killer was but there is sort of a weird environment made after the fact where it's like okay oh, well yeah. now he seems to me like what? he was set up to be like a b plot for cooper to take him away from the mystery for a while mm-hmm. so that they could delay solving it but instead they have to solve it and then he's all they have left kind of yeah. anyway we'll get there we'll be there for a long time we start with gordon cole leaving he says he's got to go to bend oregon they cover some of the stuff that we've already talked about. Cooper puts two and two together that one, he heard from Gordon that there were there's like some new clue they found of like uh, paper fragments or something. I don't remember where it was found, but uh, the train car, right? That was supposed to be right. they yeah, realized right. it was pieces from a diary. So they were like, shit, I guess we'll go see what Donna said. See if that's true. Right. And so because Donna told them about Harold and the diary, even though Cooper didn't really believe it. Now he's like, oh, paper fragments. Maybe there is a secret diary. So they so he tells uh, Hawk to go to Harold's place. And that's basically what what we immediately cut to, because Harold has I guess there are a few content warnings for this episode. One of them will later sexual assault and domestic violence. But also there's uh, suicide in this episode right now because Harold uh, is dead when they get there. The whole, it seems the whole shakeup with Donna and Maddie, he was not in a good place and it, and it pushed him, I think is the interpretation. And so, yeah, they, they find him in his apartment and the apartment is trashed or the house rather is trashed. Yep. Uh, the diary is also seem to be torn up and they don't think they can get much out of it. Cooper ends up recovering at least parts of it and later, but. Yeah, there, yeah, there's parts of it. There's a scene in this episode with what he can get out of it. Uh, there's a note on Harold's body that is in French, and it translates to I am a lonely soul. The same thing that the mini David Lynch said. Yeah, the uh, little spirit boy, one of the Chalfonts slash Tremonts. Mm-hmm. That happened, and it's mentioned again here. It's also the name of this episode, It's Lonely Soul. It's also the name of an episode of Interstitial. It's true. Named after this, because it takes place in Twin Peaks. What else happens in, um, I think there's other stuff in the uh, Harold Smith's apartment, but maybe either we cut back to it or I'm just wrong. I can't remember, but we cut away. We eventually go to the Palmer house 
in a wonderful, it, a great scene. There's yeah. this, uh, it is ostensibly like a really heartwarming scene because Maddie has to do this kind of um, bittersweet goodbye. You know, as we saw last episode, when she told James, she's like, I just feel like if I'm here, everyone wants me to be Laura and I kind of fall into that. And you know what? People here just need to grieve and I need to get back to my real life. She has that conversation with her aunt and uncle with whom she's been staying. Sarah is pretty sad about it. You can tell Sarah Palmer, but Leland is like, you know what? I, I get it. You, it'll sad. We have to see you go, but you got to get back to your real life. And, you know, Missoula isn't so far. Um, but the whole time that conversation is happening, the camera is like creeping like a like a unseen yeah. observer. And there's always pictures of of Laura, like also mm. included in the frame. Like it starts on the mantle and then it like tracks over to the couch where they're all sitting. But even once it's on the couch, it's still like there's a like barrier between the camera of like nightstand or whatever uh and there's it's the record there's... player actually which comes up later but there's a you know they've got a nice record playing while they're having this conversation and the the camera perspective almost like crouches behind the record player as it continues to pan over and yeah so you have this ostensibly nice scene but there's this there's a presence there that is not right yeah and it's done with uh the camera movement which is as david lynch a very noise yeah. visual oriented uh Im- images first sometimes no words sort of writer and director mm-hmm. but uh it's just i don't know it's sick to see this kind of shit on tv <laughs> you know a lot of tv isn't uh good so oh the lighting in this episode gets so fucking cool the sound in this episode gets so fucking cool absolutely oh, it's yeah. great. great episode we get a Leo, Shelley, and Bobby scene, which is mostly to say a Bobby and Shelley scene because yeah. Leo is, of course, still paralyzed. Although, uh, this is the scene where Leo starts to speak a little bit again. He does indeed. Shelley and Bobby are arguing about, not arguing, they're just frustrated. Yeah, they're in a frustrating financial position because they realize that there's scam of trying to milk Leo's, you know, insurance money or, or rather disability money. That they're only after they pay all the bills, they'll only have forty two dollars a month. And when Shelly says, you know, we'll only have forty two dollars a month. Bobby's like, what do you what do you mean we? And, you know, they kind of get this like like they're frustrated at each other because of money. And Bobby is like, oh, man, now that this is like costing me money and time, like I'm supposed to be at school like this isn't cool anymore. I did what I could to help. And Shelly is like, no, when I said we, I meant me and Leo because you're not fucking helping. Like, mm-hmm. I got him. I got. I can't live off forty two dollars a month. No, and that's even what forty forty two dollars is more than than it is now. But it's still not a lot of money. It's still no, nothing. No, I know. Bobby like goes through this sort of roundabout thing where he's like, "Look, I'm not saying I was part of it, but I happen to maybe know Leo was doing some shit with drugs, <laughs> so maybe." Yeah. Maybe he has money somewhere. Like, there's no way Leo put it all away in a bank or something. Maybe it's under a mattress. And when he says maybe Leo's hiding it somewhere, Leo, who we've previously assumed is not able to hear. We, I mean, we kind of already assumed that he has been able to hear, but like the characters think that he's just out of it. Um, He seems to respond to that. He spits a little bit and says, no shoes. With that exact, like that exact cadence, repeats it a couple times throughout the episode. And that's the clue they need. Yeah. They they go looking for er, a receipt because Shelly is like, oh, I just took some shoes in for some cleaning or repair or whatever. So that's the hook of it for now. They'll find those shoes later. Weird thread that I don't remember where it goes at all. But I was just, I, once they, I don't either. Yeah. They, they find something in the shoes and it, I was just like, what the fuck is that? I don't remember. I think it ends up being like evidence in the case. And I think they like try to get money like they try to charge. I mean, I'm not surprised. The let's see. Then we go to Audrey. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The the Audrey Ben Horn scene, I would say, is mainly plot 
performance stuff. Um, I think this episode is written by Mark Frost alone. So that's like also a very interesting sort of like he's ironing out plots and Lynch is like, what's the I'm going to make this look. I'm going to tell a story with yeah. the visuals, too. It's great. Nice, nice stuff going on here. But yeah, Audrey confronts her dad, Ben Horn, and is like, I know about one eyed Jax. And he's like, surely you don't fuck off. Uh, and she's like, don't you remember seeing me with my white mask? And he's like, oh, God. Yeah, don't you oh, remember fuck. prudence? Oh, shit. And, and like, he's like, he's, oh, he's, damn it. He really fuck. sells it on his face. It's it's a yeah, it's, it's I mean, scene. it's a great performance of a sleazebag character. Basically, she's like, so did you know that Laura worked there? And he's like, yeah, but it was only for a minute, which we learned in a previous episode that she was messed up on drugs and they kicked her out like pretty quick. But then she's like, well, did you sleep with Laura? And he eventually admits, yes, I think it's implied or maybe he directly says it's been a couple days since I watched the episode already. Uh, if if it was like ongoing and I think it was ongoing, they implied. Yeah, it's 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 great. The, the way that they get that in the dialogue is, you know, she asks, did you sleep with her? And he doesn't respond. And then she's like, well, did you? And then he says, yes. And then she says, did you kill her? And then he says he picks up a portrait of her and looks at it uh, on his desk, by the way, (laughs) weird. But he picks up a portrait of her and says, I loved her. And it's like Mm -hmm. this. It's like it's I mean, it's great because it's wow. What a sleazebag like you're fucking how old? Also, yeah, daughter of his partner like the he works with her as her dad as well. It's real fucked. But but also it it does so much in like. It reveals more than Audrey thought she knew. Like, yes. it's like, oh, wait. So it's not just that she worked at One-Eyed Jacks for a while. That's almost incidental to the fact that you seem to have had a thing with her for a longer time that is much more meaningful than I would have guessed. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like it almost makes me wonder. Like, it's much if more it, meaningful to you. If it, if it pre-exists her working at Jacks. Maybe he didn't want her there. Right, right. If, if if it if so, I don't know if it's clearly stated when it started or if it started because he sleeps with new girls and then stuff happened anyway. I right. Don't, I don't remember. But yeah, that's the that's the end of that scene is him saying that he loved uh, Laura, and we go then to the diner for two scenes. One is Shelley quitting because uh, she has to go take care of Leo. Very effective performances. Great crier. Shelly, matronamic. Yeah. Norm is also very good at consoling her. It's very fun. It's like, Yo, you'll always have a place to come back to here when you can. She's like, really? And she's like, yeah, if you try to get a job anywhere else, I'll shoot you with a gun. <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I love the dynamic the two of them have. Maybe oh. not great for a boss to say, but yeah, I know. I'm like, that's, that's the episodes ingratiated me so much of these characters that I'm like, wow, a nice boss. I buy it. <laughs> um, very sweet. No, these, these, uh, do we know anything about Shelly's family? Cause I'm like, Norma's like a mom figure, but I don't know. I like, yeah, it strikes me that like, Maybe she's not from here originally, but like Leo is. Mm-hmm. So like she she doesn't seem to know a lot of people. Yeah. And I, I guess that's not true. I don't know. Anyway, we uh we also get a scene of Big Ed and Nadine. Nadine. Yeah, sorry, I was gonna say Norma, but I was like, nope, we just talked <laughs> about Norma. A lot Nadine. Of ends, yeah. And you know, it's more of Nadine thinking she is a teenager and with super strength. We so hijinks. We we got him. We got yeah. him in spades. A lot of uh, I mean, it's a lot of just kind of like awkward tensions created because uh, it doesn't seem like Norma knew anything about this, but Nadine starts talking to her as if they're teens, and Nadine's you know weird and says things that are maybe not no, you normal know what? to say. Norma anyways, Norma's regulars. She's good at at you know dealing with people mm-hmm. who maybe are not. On the same wavelength as her, so yeah, she she kind of manages it. Yeah, but yeah, Big Ed tries to you know make it okay because it's like, oh, how long have you been working here? And Norma's like, I don't know, my whole life. And she's like, ha, that's funny. You're not like she's like, I don't know, twenty years. And it's like you're not even twenty yet uh, because they went to school together. And also the tension comes from Nadine and saying, you're not mad that I'm dating yeah. Ed now. He said you broke up, and I mean, obviously there is. Something between Ed and Norma from right, the as last we know season. from season one. Yeah, uh, but it's 
it's it's sort of an interesting device to uh, have Nadine poke at the bee's nest because she quite literally couldn't know better, as opposed to a sort of grudge she held against Norma in the first season. Now it's so playful, and you can't really be mad about it. It just it's a real strange circumstance these people have found themselves in. Yep. But we don't really move. We don't really. I don't think there's any like real. No, she breaks a glass. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she breaks something, a piece of dishware. But yeah, uh, I think she was just excited about the something because she like squeezes the milkshake. Cup oh, right. Too she bad. says, I'm just so happy. Yeah. yeah. And then she just sort of spins around on the chair, staring at the blood on her hands for a while. And Big Ed's horrified. It goes on longer than we're describing it. Uh, but I, I, it's great. Nadine will eventually latch on to a character who's finally making his return in this episode because we go from here to Snake and Bopper and we, the, the return of Snake. The boys are back in town. The you boys know, are like, back in town. It's like we've had we've had Bobby, but he's not been He's not been the Bopper. He has not right. been the big bad Bobcat in this season. Yeah. But yet he needs his wingman. And here he is. We got Mike and Bobby. Different Mike, different Bob. Yep. So Mike and Bobby are back at Shelly and Leo's place. Shelly has not, I guess, gotten back from quitting yet. So it's just Mike, Bobby and Leo there. And no, it's off, it's off screen. But Norma's like, yes, you can quit after you finish this shift. <laughs> right. Just drive slowly so that, you know, your boyfriend can have a scene. Mm-hmm. And so Bobby's got the shoes repaired and mike is like maybe there's something in the like milled into the shoe you know sometimes people hide things there and uh so they go grab a hammer to you know break the shoes apart and what do you know there is a mini dv tape in there i guess yep. i think is what that is no i guess the timing of that wouldn't be right it'd be tur- hold on mini DV tape. I mean, it is a tiny see tape. when those were a thing. Regardless. You know what? No. They were, they came out in 95, so, or DV tapes generally did, so it's gotta be some other kind of, maybe it's just audio tape, actually. Yeah, I don't remember where this goes, so that it can't inform that either, but. But they're like, this isn't money, but I bet I could, <laughs> I bet through extortion I could make this money, is basically what they say at the end. Yep. Cooper sort of figuring out what he can from the diary, uh, mainly that uh, he she's been keeping the uh, the secret diary of Laura Palmer has been kept a long time. Repeatedly references Bob and uh, you know abuse uh, of, of the sexual variety, quite a bit of it for a long time. Also referred to as a friend of her father's, and a later entry says that one day I will tell the world about Ben Horn. And they don't know what that means. But then Audrey says, hey, I think I might know what that means. Because she says that, hey, what does what does nuts? Ben Horn, he, my dad, he, uh, my dad, my dad owns one-eyed jacks. owns one-eyed jacks. Yeah. yeah. Um, she's very shook up. This is a effective scene between the two of them. Yeah. And Cooper's just like, go, you know, go somewhere safe. And you know what? The law will handle this. Will it? I mean, he says, you know, go home, we'll take care of this. Yeah. Uh, but instead of taking care of this, they walk outside, they see the log lady, and she's like, there are owls at the roadhouse. And so instead of going to... No, they, they, they arrested Ben before going to the roadhouse. Okay. There is, there is a weird point where they're like, you know what? Today is a good day to go to the roadhouse. Yeah. <laughs> Even though we've just captured the the lady who, who sings the, the opening is there we gotta go that's true you gotta get is it julie cruz is that her yeah. name in the flesh we gotta go we gotta go it's happening again she's playing the roadhouse <laughs> it, in this scene cooper tells harry they're gonna they need a warrant of arrest for benjamin horn i think we skipped over the scene with mike because it wasn't in the shooting script i'm realizing they go t- there's a scene at the beginning of the episode where Mike, the one armed man. Yeah, not <laughs> different yes, Mike. Different not Mike. Mike and Bobby Mike. Yeah. Um not Margaret Morgot. Uh but no, Mike, who is possessing the one armed man, Gerard, he's in control. Um, you can tell in the tone of voice. They go to the Great Northern, because if you remember, that's where oh, he said right. Bob was. They and he like they're like, Alright, get every guest 
to come and see if this is Bob, if if Mike can see Bob because of the whole true, thing of like he had that face. vision about lonely souls in different identical rooms. Yep, and that's the idea that uh, surrounded by trees, and that's the the Great Northern Hotel. Um, doesn't see them, and then has sort of an uh, attack and falls on the ground. That's the end of the scene. Also, it's a very wild scene sonically because like there seems to be a convention of and people in sailors outfits bouncing balls yeah it's so weird yeah it's a bunch of people in naval uniform with like racket balls and they're just bouncing it on the ground as they're like bringing in one at a time all the guests of the hotel and then at the very end like right as mike has his his attack Ben Horn like comes into the room and he just goes, "What is happening here? <laughs> like, what is going on here, or something like that?" Uh, it's so sonically unpleasant. Yeah, it's so funny. It's wonderfully chaotic. The reason I remembered that and went back to it is because Cooper mentions that he's like, without chemicals, he points and mentions that that happened. He uh, Mike fell on the ground and pointed. When Ben entered right the room. Ben, yeah. Although I'd wager Ben wasn't the only person entering the room, if that's uh, the case. But we'll get there at the end of the episode. Ben Horn, we go then to Ben Horn, back back in the, t- the timeline. Sorry for time traveling. But Ben Horn is having a meeting with Tojimura, who uh, is revealed in this episode to be Catherine in disguise. So we weren't that. But not in this scene yet. No, not in this scene. They're meeting, and uh, he's like, Yeah, my brother Jerry investigated the company everything's approved let's sign some contracts but before they can the the cooper squad comes in and tells him that he's under arrest uh or, or no not well no i guess not under arrest they say he's being taken in for questioning regarding and the he's like the can you not see him in the middle of a meeting can you be more specific and truman says we have questions for you regarding regarding the murder of laura palmer is that specific enough for you Damn, it's got like, me. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of a like funny is not the right word, but there's like an, a sort of weird energy about the scene of the way that Ben Horn is so above this. He's like, "That's I didn't do that shit. Don't talk. Don't fucking look at me. You don't know what, what's going on in my head." Right. And but, but be, because of the situation, he knows that it looks like he killed Laura because he's being taken away. That's yeah, cops think he killed Laura, but it's it's also just like his response is like go away, I'm not doing this, and tries to leave through his back door. <laughs> and then they, yeah. like, he's not even, like, running. He's just walking. And then uh, they come over, uh, restrain him, put cuffs on him. He starts yelling. And, yeah, that's the the scene. It kind of ends with Tojimura and, I don't know, the other assistant that's with them just sort of standing there in the empty room, like, all right, well, that wasn't really part of my plan. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways. You want to you get uh, burritos? Yeah. Um. Then we go to... The Palmer house. Oh, uh, this is sorry. I, I misplaced this... something before. This is where we get Margaret, the log lady, saying the thing about their owls at the roadhouse. So Cooper and they, after they get Truman and Margaret will go there together in a later scene. But this is what Margaret tells them to go here. When they enter the sheriff's department, Andy is wearing a hat that he was not wearing in the previous scene. So I am just wondering, when did Andy put on this little hat? It's very you important. Cinema, to me. Yeah, we got a cinema sins ding in here. Like, no, I'm just curious. I'm sure there's like, you know, what does it mean that he put on the hat? Without a hat, he arrests. Should be another thing that the giant, the giant shows up well, again. Well, the says, sun came out, and I don't like it when the glare is uh-huh. in my eyes. I can't remember the actor's name who plays the the villain in John Wick One, but he had like an injury when filming that movie. Like, I think it's involved the movie and like had like surgery or whatever, uh, like on his, like the back of his head. So like the hair looked completely different and everyone was like panicking about what to do. And he's like, I'll just wear a hat from now on and it'll be fine. And it's like, but we've already filmed things with you not wearing a hat. And he's like, no, it's fine. And sometimes I wear a hat and sometimes I don't. It's not that complicated. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's just, that's what I think of now when that's like, oh, ding, consistency. It's just like, no, it's just, I wear a hat when I'm outside, maybe. You know, don't worry about it. Uh, Although, I gotta say, as a pre-production, as someone who does pre-production for a living, 
look, I get it. <laughs> it, could, it could cause a lot of continuity errors that are fucking annoying later I, on. I get it too, but I I think it was just like, it was just, I think it's just no, funny it, how he, It can be a simple solution if you're clever about it, yeah. There might have still been reshoots if, I don't know what, uh, he wasn't, he's mm-hmm. not, he wasn't any like action scenes, so I don't doubt there was no, that much yeah. going on. Just a funny thing that I remember. It's just, no, it's fine. Sometimes I wear a hat and sometimes I don't. <laughs> it's not, it's fine. Next, is it next we get the reveal that Catherine is Tojimura? Uh, I think so. Yeah, she, I mean, Pete's like making a midnight snack or whatever. I don't know. It's, it's yeah, getting late. Yeah, he's got like a glass, he's got a, car, uh, a, a pitcher of warm milk that he's mm. carrying in his PJs. Uh, he like bonks right into... Uh, Mr. Tojimura, who is here, who's clearly Catherine, mm-hmm. but he doesn't realize that. And the first thing that they do is kiss. They they, they kiss Pete, and he's like, "I don't swing that way." And then now you get out of here, Buster. And then Catherine just uses her regular voice, making the deeper voice much uh more problematic. If it's yeah, not even, I guess a- I had I had in my head that it was like because her vocal cords were damaged, but clearly not. No, nope, you just I you guess just she just thinks in, that's what Asian people sound like. You just filled in an answer that cut them some problematic slack. But no, yeah, pure unadulterated racism. She takes off the it's funny the the wiki says he takes off his disguise it's Catherine. it's like she removes her glasses she's still in yellow face pete goes Catherine, you look terrible (laughs) just terrible and they he laughs and they embrace and he's like damn she's not dead (laughs) he seems to be happy about it and then we go to the palmer house the very what's i can't find the word i guess it's like eerie um, unsettling sort of effect created by the there's like a, just a record skipping like it's at the very end and it's just like every now and then you hear the click of it like restarting on this like really blank yeah, loop. really scary eventually yes but now it's just a record skipping yeah it starts with that you sort of pan and over to the stairs like, it's, it seems like it's skipping but be- like between tracks so it's just silence you, all you hear is silence and a, a like methodical the click. slight needle in the groove sound but it's not reverberating anything, so it's just yeah, and that ends up uh, being kind of our score for a later scene. Yep, but for now, it just starts with Sarah Palmer, the mother of the late Laura Palmer. Not really in a lot of scenes this season, but uh, she is like crawling down the stairs into the living room, and she has a vision of a white horse in the living room before she passes out. Yeah, it just... Uh, Haunting angle? Like, I don't know what it is. fades in and dissolve fades out. I don't know what it is about the frame, but it is effective in being like, oh, God. Well, number one, if it were made today, it, it would be like, I would just be like, that's a meme. Like, you, you put that, you put like a deep fry on that angle that they have of that horse. Man. And, you know, just put a random letter on it. And, and like, that's a, you got yourself like a Zoomer meme. Yeah. Number one, which is great. It shows how ahead of the curve we are here. Yeah. But two, I really like it because we've already established through previous discussions that only those connected to the spirit world can, you know, can see Bob, and that confirms to us that Sarah kind of has this connection to the spirit world because she's seen Bob multiple times. Mm-hmm. So now when we get here and we see her seeing the horse, we kind of know it's not just, it's not like some hallucination. It's not necessarily like the horse is actually there in the room, but as she has this connection to this second layer atop reality, she's getting a glimpse into that now. And it's some, you can tell it's some sort of warning, but. All we know is it's a white horse standing there. We don't really get it. Yep. And well, we pan around the room because like she passes out and then it's like not noticing her like looking in the mirror is Leland like adjusting his tie. I don't even think he doesn't notice her. Just doesn't care because it's it's not Leland. We'll soon find out. Um, I think we we, before we like. I, I like the editing a lot because like we start with uh, like Leland looking in the mirror and like, what the fuck? Why isn't he noticing her? And then you go to the roadhouse where Julie Cruz is performing. You get some uh, some setup here at the roadhouse. Donna and James are meeting just like, I don't know, having a drink, sitting together. And James is like, Harold Smith died, but it's not your fault. And she's like, it super is, though. <laughs> it, it super yeah, I basically is. basically killed this man. 
It's and extremely like, my fault. Kind of is her fault. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Anyway. Uh. And he that, murdered and, this man. Yeah. It's. It's. Yeah. And I mean, not really. But she didn't help. <laughs> you pushed a very unstable man. Yeah. Uh, emotionally, it was a fucked up. You know, yeah. fucked up thing. He's, yeah. But you know what? Tangled web weaved. Shouldn't have done what you did. Yep. James is like, it's it's fine. Mentally ill people die all the time. <laughs> and yeah, he's uh, trying to comfort her. And some of that involves just lying to her about her blame. But eventually they kind of stop talking because she notices like oh, Sheriff Truman's here and he's here with Cooper and Margaret, the log lady. Yes, they are here to see the concert. Apparently owls are here. I don't know. Is that the name of the band? Uh, I mean, obviously, I know <laughs> what she means. When she says that owls are in the roadhouse. Because the owls are not what they seem. That's true. The The ball sailors are here, too. Um, there's a lot of them in the oh. background. Um, don't think it matters. Ball sailor sounds like a euphemism for something, huh? Yeah, well, I didn't write the episode. I, you know? No. I don't know if there's a euphemism in all the sailors that bounce their little balls. I can't be held responsible for describing it. Uh, also, Bobby's here. Um, doesn't seem to be with anybody. Just here, I guess, getting a drink. Also, the old man waiter... Yes. We gave Cooper room service uh, and couldn't hear or understand him that he was in yes. fame. He, uh, he's here. He eventually does like enter the scene, but just like I recognized him from behind. He's dressed exactly the same. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, he's just at the bar for now. Not he's not focused on by the camera the way that Bobby is when Bobby is like sort of introduced. And like uh, the scene sort of fades, like rather than seeing the band finish one song, it just kind of like soft fades into another song. And Cooper is watching them. Yeah, Cooper kind of just sees them disappear. Yes. Uh, and then in their place, the figure we've been calling the giant, or Cooper has been calling the giant, he appears on the stage. He says it is happening again. That's right. Yeah. He just says it's happening again. And Cooper's like just sort of staring. Interesting face acting. I don't know why he yeah, doesn't he, do anything. The eye line looks like he's looking up above the giant in some senses, and then he kind of, you, you see, like, the red curtain of the stage morph into the red drapery of the, of the red room. And it seems like this haze that's hitting him is also hitting Bobby, and is also Mark Margaret, it seems kind of lucid during this, too, in a way that we don't really linger on the rest of the crowd and then when this kind of like spiritual moment is over everyone that i just mentioned cooper bobby and margaret all seem really distraught and sad although that might come after this next scene, i think it comes in the order after i think like because i think but we go that's from the, the continuity of events anyway in that yeah. location mm-hmm um yeah it's sort of because it's contemporaneous with what we're cutting to now yeah after the giant says it is happening again we cut to what is happening again which is uh the killer bob taking control of his host which is now revealed to be leland palmer revealed through leland looking in the mirror and bob looking back also a couple great sort of just fading his face super impositions yeah 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 that's the that's the better word I'm curious with the technology of early 90s how this was done if um cuz it looks pretty seamless. Oh yeah, I mean a lot of I mean this was probably shot on film so it's probably just a just a simple cut. cross dissolve kind yeah. of dealio. Yeah, well I even just mean the mirror shot um cuz it just looks Oh so, yeah, looks so I mean clean. I mean my guess there is you they have, you know, the room like if we were to think about the set, the room probably has the three walls that we see and then Outside of it, there's probably more space in mm -hmm. the studio, and so they've got cut out in the wall there, that, and then they've mimicked like what's rather, on the other rather side than of the, have a mirror on the other all, side of the mirror, fake, so that yeah. they can have the actor playing Bob stand on the other side, and then they just need to replace that with a mirror when they need it to be Leland reflecting Leland. That's Leland what I would Bob. assume. It's certainly the easiest way to do that, I guess, if, um, yeah. in terms of getting the. That's how I would do it. The intended visual effect effort of you know mirroring a set on the other side of the yeah. all in the wall but anyways uh all this to say leland is the host of bob we mainly see leland doing violence in this scene he puts on some latex gloves the record is still yes that is still throughout this whole scene sarah is still kind of crawling on the yes. carpet in the room 
I don't get the impression that she has already that that she's like been abused and that's why she's on the ground. My, I mean, that's certainly an Maybe implication she saw that you can Bob take. But yeah, I think it's more just like the weight of this, the the, the spiritual weight of the situation is just like literally mm-hmm. weighing her down. Is my interpretation? Yeah. Maddie comes in and she says she smells something burning, which we, I don't think she says oil or anything specifically, but it does no, sort of tie back to the previous mention of uh, uh, Bob Dr. Jacoby killing. smelling burnt engine oil when, Jacques when was as we know, Leland killed Jacques, Jacques Renault. Yes, tying it all together, it's very scary because she, as she steps down. The lighting is so harsh, too, when she enters, yeah. Yeah, there's a spotlight where she ends up landing. It's like. The way I see it is like she's can kind of in that moment as she steps into that light, realize that she has somehow stepped from normal everyday to day life to all of a sudden she is in the spotlight of some entirely different scene that she does not expect or have any of the context for. And she turns and she feels that something is wrong and she turns and she looks at her uncle Leland and in a flash sees Bob overlaid on him. As we know, she has also seen Bob before. She also has this kind of connection, as her whole family line seems to. But she doesn't have that long to make that recognition because once the vision of Bob over Leland fades, Leland with his hands out, like in a kind of like gonna, gonna get you motion, yeah. just quickly starts walking straight towards her with a terrible smile on his face. It's so scary, Joe. Yeah, no, no, it's ridiculously effective, and it goes on longer than you would expect. Uh, I mean, I, I guess, I, I guess I say that because I keep thinking, oh yeah, this was a TV show that aired on ABC, and like comparing it to yeah. other episodes not directed by David Lynch. But they, they really don't pull any punches with how, with like the depicting the violence. Yeah, neither does Leland Bob. Really harsh stuff. So, yeah, viewer discretion advised if you listen to these before you watch the episodes, you know, not tear, you know, like not not gratuitous, but it's still really affecting, really horrifying. Yeah, the show will in some ways, I think, and not so much in these episodes where it's first revealed, but in some of the episodes after they kind of do this thing I like, I don't like where they kind of imply that to some degree Leland wasn't in wasn't wasn't able to stop Bob like it was Bob's fault and it kind of like seems like it's absolving Leland luckily the movie completely undoes that and puts you know yeah puts blame equally between the spirit world and the physical but and I think this scene and this episode does a good job of doing that too even though some of the future episodes are kind of falter in that sense because the violence is horrifying in two different ways because one it's horrifying because it's fast and it's happening just normally but then it'll and with Leland actor Ray Wise, but then it'll cut to um, the actor who plays Bob. And those scenes are like really low frame rate. They slow down Maddie's screaming. So it's this low kind of moaning scream and cutting between those two speeds really makes it feel like it gives you that feeling of like, when something really horrible is happening, it's like time is moving really fast and really slow at the same time. Mm-hmm. Really affecting, at least to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've talked a bit about like the the sort of tightrope walk of Leland as a host versus Leland as a abuser firsthand. Yeah, and yeah, that the, the what's interesting to me is that Leland goes to the cops like, yeah, I've seen this guy before, um, which we've already talked about. I think that's an interesting sort of wrinkle, but as you mentioned, yeah, the the movie I think is kind of should is kind of the final word on that, even though it's a prequel, but it's made after. Anyways, uh, did you mention the fingernail? Because that's also, I guess, I did not gratuitous cherry on top that he does put another letter. On, I don't know, I think it's O or something. Still spelling out Robert, but there is a shot of uh, him putting a little piece of paper letter under the fingernail, which has been connecting all of these other killings and then it kind of just cuts back to cooper and the giant holding eye contact and then he disappears and the band comes back and as you mentioned yeah everybody looks kind of sad donna is sobbing great crier i can't remember that actress's name but between the pilot and this i'm just yeah, every time i'm like yeah yeah you did it you, you, you cried 
great great job i know yeah it's and the lighting on her is great too as it's happening it because uh, it's like i feel like in in darker lit places i'm i'm more warrant to ugly cry a little bit because it's like oh, well yeah. i've got plausible deniability that it's darkly lit in here and only the people right next to me will see or whatever and mm-hmm. that's kind of the vantage point you get it's really great yeah, and the basically the last thing in the episode is the old waiter guy coming over to Cooper and just saying that he's sorry. I don't what he says like he has a specific. He says, "I'm so sorry." It's like uh, it's, he must have some sort of connection as you know, well. I keep hammering in this point, but I mean, I, between this season and the movie and the third season, it really hammers home this like there really are two worlds at stake here, and some people can see both. And I think I guess the implication is that this old man waiter can see to some degree what happens in the spirit world because even if cooper he might be more in the spirit world than the real one like yeah 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 exactly um maybe that's why he thought cooper was a-okay before is because like he didn't even see that he had a bullet in him but he did just get a vision so anyway yeah he so he says i'm so sorry and he kind of understands cooper's loss before cooper has any idea of what's happening yeah he doesn't quite know what's happening again that's it. That's the episode. Quite a spot to end on. Audience now knows who the killer is, but there is still some work to be done in that department. And then there's still like another, I don't know, 10 episodes after that. Yeah. And then there's a movie. And then there's a fantastic movie that we'll watch. And then there's a third season. Yeah. No, lots lots to uncover. It's, it's not really There's some about... missing pieces along the way. There are, yeah, we do have to do the missing pieces, don't we? strap in for the next year i hope you weren't just listening to figure out who did it because we're gonna we have a lot more episodes to make damn what a fucking good episode no i fucking holy shit did david lynch with like a tv budget and like 40 minutes make something more haunting and effective than like uh i don't know plenty of other horror movies i've seen with millions of dollars not even to downplay like tv budgets are smaller and they have different sort of standards but uh, I mean, what Lynch does to me feels like an entire like there aren't a lot of it, I, I, directors I, that want to horrify you in the way that yeah. Lynch does, where it's just like, hey, you like feel intense. Yeah, there's, <laughs> and, and I feel like a lot of his strong suits aren't really even tied to like he makes things kind of outside of like it's not even entirely outsider art obviously he got to make an abc tv show yeah but and like showtime was like yeah make another season of twin peaks fuck it man but there's an extent to which the things he likes to do are not really tied to big production budgets outside of time like he wants long a lot of time and that involves paying a lot of people um so it's there's money in that regard uh because i i know he felt he's talked about feeling rushed on shooting stuff and he's like i like to show up and find things out i'm not really i don't i don't yeah he doesn't i'm sure he has a shot list you know but, but, I there's, not like, but there's but on the other hand there's no universe where david lynch is like i just want more money for the vfx for the for the cgi yeah, no. effects budget no i mean like i look at season three of twin peaks that's not he's not really right. trying to to polish it and he that, has a guy just wearing hulk hands yeah yeah amazing because that's what anyway that's what his visual idea is and i like it a lot um anyways yeah well we have we'll we'll do the same fucking rigmarole every time he directs an episode where are you on the internet show to twitter.com slash ghost of joe's ghost of joe (laughs) if you can't believe it i'm on twitter.com slash ghost of joe and i'm on another podcast called we are watching one piece which is doing exactly that. I'm rewatching it, my co-host story, watching for the first time, still in whole cake until I think June or whatever. Plenty of family trauma in that show too, not to the same extent, because that's for like teenage boys. But, uh, and the Twin Peaks is ostensibly for adults. Different sort of demographic there. But that's it. Uh, what about you, Wheels? Where can people find you? Hey, you can find me on Twitter at Singular Wheels. You can also find me on the podcast Very Random Encounters. Not exactly sure on the lineup of episodes here because we've got a buffer of different sizes between both VRE and this. And I'm not sure. So I think as this episode comes out, it'll either be the last episode of I'm sure you're all wondering why why I've gathered you all here this evening. Um, So if you've been listening and enjoying that many seasons, you'll get a finale um, or that's already out and you can binge the whole thing and we'll get the first episode of the new season thing, the new full season things from the flood which is a sequel to our Tales from the Loop 
season. Uh, however, you don't really need to have heard the Tales from the Loop season. You should. It's really great, really fun, uh, really great characters. We just take those characters and give them a new adventure. So it's you'll get the rapport of the characters in an episode or two. And then the plot is kind of unrelated to the plot of the first one in a lot of degrees. So you'll be able to jump right on. Uh, that's at Very Random Encounters. You can find it at VRE.show. And you can also buy a book of fantasy tabletop role-playing game Random Encounters that I wrote with those folks. So if you've ever been running a role-playing game and you're like, God damn, uh, I have no idea. I've already finished everything I've planned and I have no idea, but everyone wants to keep playing. I wish I just had a random encounter idea. Well, now you got a whole book of them, uh, along with some other tools and things for GMs of just little prompt, you know, paragraph size idea prompts. Um, so if that sounds good to you, you can buy that at bit.ly forward slash random book with a capital R and B. What else do we plug? Um, our theme music can be found in the show notes. It's just a remix of the main show's theme, but it's I can only I only found it in one place online. Uh, so there's a link to it there. You have a Twitter for the show, uh, twitter.com slash memorizedcast. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash memorizedcast, where you can get these episodes early, our monthly bonus episodes where I've been talking about the, the Matrix to Wheels. And also the rest of Interstitial Season 3, if you've been listening to that in the main feed. And even if not, you should go check that out. And then, yeah, that's it. The, the whole thing went up early uh, to patrons first. It was a big surprise. You, you missed it. It's been like, I don't know, two and a half months now. Um, it's March. Sure is. It's, it's, it sure is. Uh, and that's it. I, don't, I can't think of anything else to plug, so there must not be anything else. Oh, I guess there's Discord. You can find that in the show notes, too. But you did the intro, Wheels. I mean, it's my turn to say... That that was episode 14, the 15th overall episode, the 7th episode of season 2, not to be confused with part 14 of The Return, also known as Lonely Souls. I got it memorized.